Good morning, everybody. What has been the greatest disappointment that you've ever had to face? Whenever I was in college, I'll never forget a story that one of the girls told us about something that happened when she was very young. Her parents had just gone through a divorce, and she was missing her dad. And as the holidays were coming up, her dad said, you know what, I'm going to pick you up and, and we're going to spend the weekend together. So she went and she packed up her little pink suitcase and she stood there in front of the screen door waiting for her dad to come up. And then she saw his car. She saw that uh, Camaro he owned that was coming down the road and she was eager with excitement. Only the car never slowed down. And she stood there at that screen door again with that little pink suitcase, excited about time she was going to spend with her dad. And she watched that car just pass right on by. And she said she would never forget it. She said she cried and cried as her, her dad and his new girlfriend just drove on past and she never got to see him. Now, is it wrong for a young girl, a young woman... 10, 11, 12 years old, to want to spend time with her father. Of course it's not. It was right for her to have that hope, and yet her heart was broken because of something she desperately wanted and was not going to get to have. It was a hope. And this is what life in a fallen world can bring. Because, see, we all have hopes. We have a hope. Maybe this Christmas will be better than the last one. You hope for spouse, kids. Maybe you hope for a financial windfall. Maybe you're hoping for healing. You're hoping for fill in the blank. A restored relationship, an estrangement from a loved one to be over with so you can see them again. We all have these hopes. And these are real and good. And yet at the same time, they can leave us completely devastated. Some of you are going to have to go through an empty seat at the table this Christmas. Some of you the first time. The Jane family will have to endure an empty seat at Christmas. And some of you don't yet know whom that empty seat may be indicating the loss of yet. Some of us, we want the old times back. Believe it or not, I look back on 2019 with great fondness. I never thought, man, I didn't know what such a good year that was until it was gone. It was just easier. There were easier times. Issues have come about since then. And maybe you're hoping for Old times way beyond that. You want them back. You hope things will be restored. But as much as we hope, we're not going back to 2019 or the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or whatever era you may be hoping for. As a matter of fact, there was a man by the name of Josh Whedon. You may not know the name, but he produced uh, movies like the Toy Story movies and the Avengers movies. And he was interviewed and he was asked if he had hope that the human race is becoming smarter and better. He said, I think we're becoming stupider and more petty. He said, what's going on in this country and many countries is beyond depressing. He said, it's terrifying. Sometimes I have to remember who I'm talking to 
He'll talk, he'll talk about how th- terrible things are and meaningless and the, the world headed towards destruction and war and apocalypse. And he says he looks at his eight-year-old and his daughter will say, well, look, hey, I'm eight. Would you please not share all these things, Dad? She doesn't want to hear that stuff. But he goes on and says, I can't believe anybody thinks we're actually going to make it before we destroy the planet. He said, I think it's inevitable. He went on and said, I have no hope. I want to be wrong more than anything. Now, Christians are different. We believe hope exists. We have hope. And what I want to talk about this morning is, well, how can I have an enduring hope in Christ? If everything around you seems like it's scorched earth, relationships and the world and people, we have to ask, what is our hope in? And we believe in this hope. We believe in a hope that goes beyond the walls of this world. How do I trust God when things look hopeless? And today we begin this new series called The Enduring Promises of Christmas. By the way, the semicolon means that something else is coming up behind it. It's a sign of someone or something else coming. And and we're calling this The Enduring Promises of Christmas. We'll start out looking at the Old Testament prophecies that are pointing towards hope and things, new things, a new person that is coming, that the Messiah would be coming, bringing hope, joy, peace, and love. And we're in this season we call Advent. Now, what exactly is Advent? We've got to revisit the meaning of this word. The word itself is from this Latin word, Adventus. It means coming, that there's a preparation, that we're anticipating a coming of of an event or a person. And this Advent season that we're now in is a time of preparation that directs our hearts and minds to Christ's second coming at the end of time and to the anniversary of our Lord's birth on Christmas. See, we do two things during the Advent season. We look backward at the first coming, the first Advent of Jesus Christ when he came as a baby there in Bethlehem. At the same time, though, we're anticipating A second coming of Christ. The first coming was an insurance that the second coming is going to happen. But we're living in this in-between time between these two advents. And they're not easy times. And the Israelites understood that there were dark times. They waited for hundreds of years to hear from the Lord again until they finally heard from him and the Messiah. So we look at these two events, the first coming of Christ as well as the second coming of Christ. And this morning our focus is going to be on hope. And I want to look at three different passages as we explore this this deep need of Christian hope. And instead of reading the scriptures uh, like I normally would at the very beginning, I'm going to be reading them as I go through uh, these different aspects of hope. I actually want to look at three things this morning that hope does. Three things hope does, moves It reveals, it seeks. It moves, it reveals, and it seeks. So let's start out, and I want to actually throw a definition of hope out to you. What is it? Well, hope, very simply put, is desire plus expectation. It's something that I want to happen, but I don't just want it to happen. I actually believe that it is going to happen. If I didn't believe it was going to happen, I wouldn't have the hope. So it is this desire plus expectation expectation and what we need for our own sanity and our own stability we have to have an ultimate 
prevailing hope. We have to have a hope of all hopes. Otherwise, it's just continued pain and disappointment and frustration. And I believe we can get there. We're going to look at what the Bible says. And let's look, let's look at these three things that hope does. And first, we're going to look at 1 Peter uh, 1, 13, as we talk about uh, this first aspect, the first thing that hope does, the, the movement of hope. And it says there, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in the context of this verse, Peter is talking about how great our salvation is. He starts out talking about the necessity of our salvation, and he's giving that hope to scattered Jews. And he's writing this to scattered Jews who have trusted in Christ, but their situation seems hopeless. And he's saying, no, you've got something so amazing, just prior to this, that the angels are looking down on you, wondering, how can I have this? So what does he say? He uses this phrase, be sober-minded. And some translations say, prepare your minds for action. Now that literally means, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, we need a little explanation as to what that means. It used to be that men would wear these long tunics. They go clear down uh, to their ankles, and they would wear a belt. Now, if trouble was coming, if they were going to have to jump into action, they couldn't move around in those long tunics, so they would have to turn those tunics basically into a pair of shorts. So they would hike it way up above their knees, tighten a knot, slip it behind them, and they would tuck it into the belt behind them. That's what it meant to gird up your loins. And Peter's saying gird up the loins, but he's saying of the mind. Meaning you have to have a mind that is ready for action immediately. This is an action. Get ready. And hope for what? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying this second coming of Christ is where you have to place your hope if you're going to be obedient. In other words, right here at the get-go, we all have to see that there can only be a single object of our ultimate prevailing hope. This isn't the first time you're going to hear me say this today. It's a hope that's so deep and important. It impacts our future, but it also impacts our present as well. And we recognize that the future is shaped by the present, and we have to be aware of both. We have to be aware that where we set our minds in the future also impacts us here now in the present. And hope means that we are fully prepared for what is to come, both in the present and in the future. So hope is this certainty about the future that affects the present. A certainty about the, the future that affects the present. And what we see here is that hope moves. What does it move? Well, it moves our focus to the eternal. Hope moves our focus to the eternal. Let me, let me illustrate this. You know, it used to be that uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid raking leaves. You know, back... In West Virginia, if you just look at the trees uh, during 
uh, the fall. They're beautiful. They're covered uh, with all those red changing leaves. But eventually they all fall off. And we had these beautiful maple trees in our front yard. We had a, a red uh, or a sugar maple that would turn red. We had a silver maple. Well, guess whose job it was to get all those leaves gathered up? That would be Chad. So with every leaf that fell, I was like, ah, oh, you know, this, okay. I know what that means. It means there's going to be more work to do, more work to do. Now, eventually, my parents, as I moved away, they got someone to clean up the leaves. They paid that person, interestingly. Didn't know that was part of the deal. So no longer did anybody care when the leaves were falling. You know why they didn't care when the leaves were falling? You know why grief, no grief came when leaves were falling? Because there was a, a hope and a promise that somebody was going to come and they were going to take care of the leaves. So we could just enjoy the beauty of the trees. And guess what? Somebody was going to take care of the leaves. And it wasn't going to be us. See, there was a, a joy and an anticipation of what was to come such that we weren't burdened by the present circumstances. Do you get that? Looking forward to a hope that someone is coming. And they were going to handle what was happening. And hope moves our focus to the eternal, away from the temporary world to the eternal. And by the way, this doesn't mean we don't grieve. But we grieve differently, don't we? We do not grieve as those who have no hope. We're still sad. We're still hurt. Jesus still cried. His friend Lazarus died. But you know what? He still had hope. And a mark of almost every person in the Christmas story is they were full of hope about the fulfillment of a historic promise. They believed this was going to happen. And they would choose to believe that and their hearts would be filled with hope. So then what else? I want to move to the second action of hope. I want to start in the Old Testament with a prophecy. This is Isaiah 9-2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now the Old Testament holds all kinds of promises and prophecies about the coming of Jesus. And each one of these helped sustain the Jewish people through extremely hard, difficult times. They believed a rescue was coming. It, it, it helped them live day by day in a world full of darkness that there was light coming. And they endured uh, conquering after conquering. I mean, empire after empire would rise and fall and rise and fall. And this happened over hundreds and hundreds of years. They would be exiled and they would come back to the land. And now we see this old man that comes into the pages of Scripture. Knowing what it said back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. We come to the New Testament and meet a man named Simeon. And he's the perfect example of someone who lived with this anticipatory kind of hope. And his, his life centered around this future promise that was given to him by God. So Isaiah 9, 2, 9, 2 was a centering prayer for the man we're going to look at in the New Testament named Simeon. And after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus and they take him to the, the temple to be, to be consecrated. This was a normal part of the, uh, the practice among Judaism, a traditional custom that they would take their child to the temple to be dedicated. And when they arrived at the temple, Simeon was there as well. And I want to look now at the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. 
in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2. So if you're in Isaiah, go ahead and flip forward to, uh, to Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the, in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So now let's take a look at this passage. And we meet this man, Simeon. And he was, as the scriptures indicate, he was a righteous and devout man. There's not many that scriptures say this about. And not only that, but he was one upon whom the Holy Spirit had come. And he's waiting. Somehow it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, we don't really know exactly how, that he would see the one Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting on, the Messiah, the Christ. You know, it would, it, to put this in the current context, it would almost be as though somehow, and the Holy Spirit, he doesn't do this now, but if he were to tell you the rapture is going to happen on this date. By the way, if anybody tells you the rapture is happening on this date, don't believe him. But it would almost be like if someone had been shared that information. He was shared this information that you would not die before you see the Messiah. So every day he was waiting on this consolation, okay? That means an encouragement, a comfort. And this didn't mean he was waiting for God's pat on the back. He wasn't waiting on a few nice words. It's something much deeper. And this phrase was in reference to chapters in the book of Isaiah. Hundreds of years Israel had been conquered and defeated and many of those prophets you read about all those little books at the end of the old testament they're writing uh in the middle of exile if you read the book of daniel he's in exile in babylon and prophets like isaiah are are so weary and tired as a matter of fact the prophet jeremiah the name for a sad song now is sometimes called a jeremiad because of the prophet Jeremiah who was so sad when he was prophesying during the time he was alive. So they had to deal with Assyrians and Babylonians and, and Persians and Greeks. And now in the New Testament dealing with the Romans. And the chapters in Isaiah were written in the middle of all those bad times. But they pointed towards, look, it's not going to be forever. A comforter is coming. The Messiah is coming. And they wanted this consolation. And many would look around and be discouraged because that wasn't their situation at the time. But their promises were made. Someday things will change. And you can have hope and comfort now and encouragement because God is going to come through. Okay. And the word that Luke uses here for this waiting in this passage is this Greek word prosdekomai. 
and it means to give access to one's self. Now, what does that mean? This kind of waiting is the, is the deepest kind of waiting you could experience. It's waiting that involves this kind of pain. It's an awareness of our deepest need for something. It's a, a waiting that hurts. And Simeon's hope, his expectancy, was born out of this deep, deep awareness of his own need. He was hurting. And he wanted relief. See, this is the second thing that hope does. Hope reveals. It reveals our unmet needs. It, it reveals our desperation. It reveals our longings. Because with Christmas can come deep pain. And we have, dis we have desperations that nothing on this earth can fill. And with Christmas, it can hurt. And for many, again, there's that empty seat at the dinner table. And oftentimes, we'll seek some kind of levity. You know, we'll, we don't want to experience that hurt and the loathing, so we'll look for some kind of a distraction, right? It's easier to watch a, a Christmas movie or something like that. Uh, but at best, those are distractions. Because if we focus on that, we can miss the greatest hope that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. Because in all those other things, it's like we're not really alive. It's like when we look around us and engage in the Advent season, we have to allow ourselves to hope. We're hoping that we will see our current circumstances changed. And only one person can bring about that kind of change. We want to see things restored, but they can only be restored by the arrival or the coming of Christ into our lives. There's something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a, a Lutheran priest during the time of Nazi Germany. He was actually involved in a plot to kill Hitler. And Bonhoeffer said this about this season that we're currently in. He said, the only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them. Whose souls give them no peace. Who know that they are poor and incomplete and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. I love that quote. Because, see, it normalizes the hurt and the pain that you are going to experience in life. But we have a hope. And I have a theory. I have a theory that most of us don't really believe that Jesus can provide the kind of hope that we want. And I have a feeling that many of you don't believe me right now. Because for a lot of us, life has not yet sucker punched us in the face hard enough. That we are willing to believe and understand that most of what this world has to offer is not going to deliver what we think it is. That's why it can be, although it is hard, when things are taken away, when idols start to be crushed, it opens our eyes to what the true joy and hope is that the Christian has. So don't allow yourself to be distracted or, or self-soothed. Wrestle with that pain. 
come face to face with the brokenness and the hurt of this world. Because it's only then when we see that full emptiness of the normal hustle and bustle of Christmas that we've been settling for less than is available to us. And see, out of that deep longing is where the hope of Jesus can come. And hope is found in our deepest longing. And our hope also, as I've been saying, it comes from a person. So finally, hope seeks. What does it seek? It seeks its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We saw it there in 1 Peter. Our, our hope is to be set in nothing more, in nothing less than Christ himself. That was the command. Now, he had to command that because he knew that was not our tendency. Peter had to command that. So don't beat yourself up if you're not doing that. Peter gets it. It's not easy to do. We don't want just a better Christmas experience. We're not going to have all of our loved ones around us all the time. We ultimately don't find hope even in a restored relationship with another person. Even though those things are not bad to hope for. It is in the fact of Christ's next coming. Now see, this is easy to miss. All through the New Testament, we saw in the book of John, people were missing Jesus. I mean, they saw him, they, they would see miracles, uh, and some believed, they all believed the Messiah was coming, but they didn't see him. Why was that? It was because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. See, what they had expected from Jesus was a warrior king to come along. He was going to emancipate them from whoever their captor may have been at the time. He was going to set up his kingdom then and there. And they would fully know the kingdom of God. But they didn't get the plan. They didn't anticipate this second coming where all that was going to happen. They expected all to happen the first. And they missed him. But not Simeon. Simeon knew when he saw Jesus, even at just a month old, that he was the anointed one. He was the one there to bring hope and peace and joy and love. And for the people who missed Jesus, again, it was because their hope was in specific expectations. Everything they wanted God to do and, and how they wanted him to look and how he was going to change things in their favor, but... Jesus didn't meet those expectations. But Simeon had a different kind of hope. But see, when our hope is placed in anything other than the promises of God and the fulfillment of these promises in Jesus, you know what we do? We settle for lesser things. And these things will always fail and lead to frustration. See, our hearts are these idol factories. And we take things that are are good things, but what we do is we turn them into ultimate things. And when we turn them into ultimate things, they are going to become such a source of hurt and pain and disappointment. We think if we lose them, we just can't go on. And God is in the business of destroying these idols, either taking them away or showing you how they are going to bring pain in your life. It can be anything. It can be your family. It can be a spouse. It can be finances. It can be a good vocation. Anything that ha you have in your life that you think, man, if I were to lose that, I just don't think I could go on. See, that's when you know it has become an idol. 
And hope seeks, it seeks this ultimate fulfillment only in Christ. There's an essay called The Weight of Glory that was written by C.S. Lewis. And he talks about this very thing. He says, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. He goes on to say this. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. See, this is both the beauty and the dark side of the holidays. And it's during this time of year that the, the, the good of life and the bad of life, everything is exaggerated. And at no other time, probably during the year, are we more aware of problems that we cannot solve. People we can't control. Expectations that we cannot meet. <clears throat> There's problems that have been decades in the making that are highlighted at Christmas that you cannot fix. There's people in your life you won't be able to save during the holidays. There's expectations you'll try so hard to meet for someone else in your family and you're never going to be able to do it. See, that's not where our hope is. It can't be. Because none of those things can hold the weight of our hope. There's a difference in being hopeful for something and being hopeful in something. So this year, face that longing that you have and come to believe that there's only one specific source from where you can drive, derive your hope, and that is in Jesus Christ. And during the Advent season, we don't just idly wait and hope. And in fact, when we sense our deep longing and know our source of hope, we can live every moment believing that the best is still before us. And when we begin to embrace the anticipation, the expectation, we, we free ourselves up from the urgency of having to have things right now and fix things right now and know that God is at work. And the question is, how do we join him in that work? You can call this active anticipation, okay? Active anticipation. So it's like this. If you've had kids, you know that the, from the moment you find out that you're pregnant, you've got a deadline. You've got about nine months. And I remember when we were expecting our son to come, uh, they gave us the date. We found out we are going to do a C-section. They gave us the date of the C-section, and, and it was like a fixed day on the calendar. And then I kind of freaked out. And I remember even the night before that was scheduled, I was out in the garage. I was still like, uh, I had to hang this, we had this thing in our house that was taking up too much room, this big pin. I had to put it up, nail it to the wall in the garage. And I remember being up till midnight because we had a moment that we knew it was going to be too late. There was going to be too much to do. See, we need to be living in eager anticipation right now, knowing that Christ is coming. Active anticipation. What is it that you need to be doing for the Lord now in the short time that you have to do? Put this all together. Make your prevailing, enduring hope 
the next appearance of Jesus Christ. See, that is the only event, the only person who can actually fulfill the hope and not devastate you in the process of hoping. I want to close with a responsive reading. This is actually a prayer uh, from a book called uh, Secrets in the Dark. They're written by a, a pastor named Frederick Buchner. And I want us to uh, just listen. Just listen to what I'm going to read you to you right now. And then there's a refrain that we'll close with. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You'll see it on the screen. But listen to these words of hope and anticipation in the second advent of Christ. Thou, Son of the Most High, Prince of Peace, be born again into our world. Wherever there is war in this world, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come Thou long-expected one with healing in your wings all together now, come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy child whom the shepherds and the kings and the beasts adored, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear of failure, wherever there is temptation, too strong to resist. Wherever there is bitterness of heart, come, though blessed one with healing in thy wings. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Savior, be born in each of us who raises their face to your face, not knowing fully who we are or who you are, knowing only your love is beyond knowing and that no one else has the power to make us whole. Come, Lord Jesus, to each one, to each who longs for you, even though they have forgotten your name. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And Almighty God, let this be the prayer of our hearts during this Christmas season, that we would set our hopes not on anything under a Christmas tree, not on any person or any relationship, but primarily you would be our prevailing hope above all else, the salvation that you provided to us, Lord, through your first coming, through your death, now allows us to live in the eager anticipation of what's to come next. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Um, if you're in need of prayer this morning, I would love to pray with you. If you are living today unsure of where your salvation lies, not sure of where the future is, unaware of this hope that you can have in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you, come and meet me down at the front. I would love to explain that to you. And if you're in need of something else, uh, prayer in some other area, please uh, don't be shy about meeting me down front. I'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, be careful out there. It's very icy. Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next week.